morning. Let's worship God this morning. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Good morning, everybody. We'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. We are glad that you're here to worship and praise God with us this morning, both here and uh, back in your homes. Uh, we have a great opportunity in front of us, and I hope that we are all prepared this morning to take advantage of that opportunity, and that's the opportunity to praise God this morning. So let's lift our voices in song, and let's uh, tilt our ears towards uh, what Chris is going to bring us this morning. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day and this great opportunity that we have. Father, be with us now as we spend this time worshiping you. Let us do so uh, with abundance. Let us do so from our hearts. Let us lift our voices to you, Father. Father, be with this church. Be with our church during this uh, very difficult time. Hopefully, Father, uh, this time will come to an end very quickly and we can get back to worshiping uh, the way we are accustomed to worshiping. Father, I pray for the uh, leadership of this church as well. Help them, Father, to make wise decisions. Help them, Father, to always look to you uh, for answers. Help us, Father, to always be obedient to the leadership of this church. These things we ask in your son's name. Amen. Hi, we're the Stutzmans. I'm Ben. And I'm Rachel. Uh, I work for Milgard Windows. <laughs> I work for Lockheed Martin. Um, I work from home. And we're happy to be worshiping with Newburgh Church of Christ. What's your name? Anna. And what do you like to do? Um, Run? What's um, your name? Josiah. Josiah. Mm -hmm. I like the father. And you like the temple. Very good. Josiah is almost four next month. And Anna is, how old are you, Anna? His name is Lightbulb. Anna's two. Anna's two. And Josiah has a new hippo, and its name is Lightbulb, he says. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anna, you have anything else to say? That's it. We're thankful to be part of the new vintage. <laughs> and this is our life. <laughs> We're
we're going to invite uh, Anna and Josiah and Rachel and Ben to come forward right now. We're happy that they've decided to place membership here, and we want to have a prayer of blessing over them. They have recently moved from Pennsylvania to be in Oregon, and we're happy to have them. They have some very significant names. You know, those are Bible names. We appreciate that. And I don't know if Don and Nancy knew that they were going to have a left-hander when they named Ben Ben. You know, so. <laughs> we are happy to have them help us, encourage them. Uh, they're going to be an encouragement to us. We know that already. And uh, we're going to have a prayer this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, it's good to be members of your church. It's good to have church family. It's good to have a church home. Uh, we're thankful this morning, we're very thankful that uh, Ben and Rachel and Josiah and Anna uh, are going to be part of this church family. And we're grateful for uh, everyone who makes this their home church. Uh, we pray that your spirit will guide them. Uh, we pray that your spirit will lead them to be uh, active members and workers in your kingdom here. Uh, we pray that each of us will help them to grow in, in you and we pray that they'll help us to grow in you. Uh, thank you for Jesus. It makes it all possible, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, Lord, of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty my comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that 
Come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 42. This is the word of God. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them 
and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Thank you, Brian, for bringing us our scripture reading this morning. Uh, we are continuing this series that we started at the beginning of January, uh, second week of January. Uh, we have this Sunday and next Sunday remaining in this series uh, that we've called Everyone. And we've been talking about the call that God makes to us as individuals within the church and us collectively. Uh, if you remember, uh, last week Kyle talked about discipleship. Uh, he talked about everyone being a disciple. Uh, we've talked about the idea of every one of us finding someone within our community of faith that we are feeding, uh, that we are in some way uh, maybe serving a little bit as a shepherd towards, that we're encouraging them in their growth, that we're making sure that they're taken care of, that we're called to care for one another. Paul uses that kind of language frequently uh, in referring to the brothers and sisters caring for one another and seeing to the needs of one another. In fact, uh, in just a moment, we're going to read from the book of Acts where we're told that this was how the church lived. They cared for one another. Um, there's a little bit of a, a, a shepherding and pastoral sense that each one of us are given, and that's oftentimes modeled to us by the shepherds who are our elders within the church. Um, we've talked about the idea that, that every single one of us uh, is called to be on mission, that there is something that we as a church are called to do and participate in, uh, that we might not look identical from person to person in what it is that we're called to do, but that we're all called to be on mission. And the mission of the church, of course, is to bring people closer to Christ, to help them to grow and become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that we've really wanted to emphasize over the course of this series is that it's good to have these ideas in our head as an abstract concept. It's, it's good to know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Broadly, I want to minister to people. Broadly, I want to care for people within our congregation. But as individuals, we need to narrow down our focus and think, who am I feeding? How am I called to be on mission? How am I, as an individual, supposed to be a disciple? And this week, I want to encourage us to think about not just our discipleship and our personal growth into Christ, but our being disciplers of others. And Kyle gave us some really good thoughts on what it means to be a disciple and how, it mean, how, how we might put into practice living as a disciple. This morning I want to encourage us to narrow our focus even a little bit more, and I want to ask you this morning, who is your one? Who is your one? And that's terminology that's come to mean a lot to me. Uh, my my co-minister in California, Dave, uh, he, he talked a lot about this idea of having your one. The person that you had in mind that you were personally trying to share the gospel with. An individual, someone whose name and face you had in mind as you shared the gospel. Someone that you knew specifically, this is, you know, God worked in my life this week, and this will have an impact on my, my one. 
Uh, one of the things that it's important to realize when I use this terminology, you're one, it, it can't be someone that's sitting in this room right now with you. Unless you invited someone that you are currently evangelizing to, to this service this morning, your one is not already a member of the church. Your one is not someone that's sitting in the pew with you, worshiping Christ because they have already come to believe in Christ. Uh, one of the girls in our youth group in California, her name was Sunny, uh, she, she told Dave one Sunday morning, Becca is my one. Well, Becca was a girl in our youth group, and Dave's like, well, it's great that you love Becca. It's great that you want her to grow in, your, in her relationship with Christ, but Becca can't be your one. Becca can be someone that you're, you're caring for and loving and she's your sister in Christ and you want her to grow and thrive and, and become a bolder, deeper part of a bolder and richer Christian in her faith. But she can't be your one. Who's your, who's your friend that doesn't go to church that's your one? See, evangelism has to be specific. And, and I want to say that this morning because I think we get a little muddled at times about what discipleship and evangelism and, and these terms mean to us. Uh, I, I was talking with Josh and Amy Rockwell last night, and I didn't tell them that I was going to bring up their names, but uh, we were talking about discipleship, and, and one of the things that we agreed on in many ways was that discipleship and evangelism are different things. They interplay with one another, certainly. Someone that you are evangelizing to is somewhere on the path of discipleship. We're, we're hoping that they will commit themselves to being a disciple. You, as a disciple of Christ, in evangelizing to them, are practicing being a disciple. You are practicing discipleship. But evangelism is growing someone once they are brought into the fold. One happens first, the other happens second, and both are interconnected, and it's, it's hard to tell exactly where the line for one begins and the other ends, but the truth is, discipleship never stops. Discipleship is an ongoing, lifetime situation. Once you've become a disciple of Christ, you don't stop being a disciple of Christ. And you don't stop looking for others to invite into this life of being a disciple. I want to argue this morning that because our idea of what evangelism is is fairly poor, we don't do a lot of it. Not the way that I really believe the early church did evangelism. In fact, I think some of the terminology that churches use uh, to describe their minister can be deceptive about what evangelism is. Uh, a lot of churches will hire someone. They want an evangelist. They want someone to be the evangelist. And if you ask them what that means, their thought process is, well, the guy that gets up and speaks on Sunday. That's not really evangelism, because usually the guy that gets up and speaks on Sunday is speaking to a crowd of people who already believe. Now, if you break it down, evangelism really means to proclaim the good news, right? And hopefully, when I get up and I speak to you on Sunday mornings, I'm proclaiming the good news. Hopefully, when Kyle gets up on Sunday mornings and speaks to you, he's proclaiming the good news. Ideally, whoever is leading worship or uh, offering a communion thought or praying for the congregation in some way, shape, or form, we're sharing the good news. But evangelism isn't just to the body of Christ. In fact, I think if our primary focus of evangelism is to the body of Christ, we've missed the point entirely. 
I want to share the, the uh, end of the scripture that we just read this morning. Acts 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We love this verse. It staggers us and amazes us that on one Sunday morning, 3,000 people would respond to the gospel of Christ, that they would put on Christ in baptism, that they would come and they would be so overwhelmed with, with joy and enthusiasm and a little bit of sorrow, but also repentance, all mixed in their, their understanding of who this Jesus was, that they would then commit their lives to discipleship in Christ. And we read this and we think, that's what evangelism looks like, that Peter gets up and he preaches this wonderful sermon that connects all the dots and all the people are cut to their heart. And they convert. And they become Christians. And it's wonderful. The problem is, this is not what evangelism looks like throughout the rest of the book of Acts. See, here on this day, we have a very unique situation. There are thousands of people that have gathered in Jerusalem who are there specifically, probably having been a part of the uh, Passover celebration in Jerusalem because they came to Jerusalem as pilgrims and they're there and they speak their own native languages and they're excited about being participants in the great feasts that are happening. And here on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after, they are still celebrating as pilgrims. Maybe this is the only time in their life that they could participate in this event in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so they're going to stick around for a little while. They're going to stay. They're going to linger for a while. These are people who are committed deeply to the faith of Israel. They're people that are steeped in the story of the Old Testament, people who know everything from Adam until the prophets, who can tell you all of the moments that God has spoken of a Messiah who will come and save his people, a king who will sit on a throne, a, ch a child from the line of David, the promised son of Abraham, the offspring through whom the whole world will be blessed. They're primed and ready for a Messiah. And all Peter does, now I don't want to discredit him here, Peter does a fantastic job of preaching this sermon, but really all he does is connect the dots they're already familiar with. And he does it filled with the Holy Spirit, he does it in a way that is just passionate and beautiful and, and on fire, literally flames of fire over his head, right? But Peter's been given an audience that is primed and ready for the message that he's going to deliver. And thousands convert because they're ready. Because God has spent their entire lives feeding into them the truth of the Old Testament that is revealed fully in the death, burial, resurrection, and eternal enthronement of Christ. 
Peter is not an example here of evangelism. Now, Peter later will be an example of of evangelism for us today. But this is a miraculous moment. You know, uh, when we started talking about this series, we talked about how John, John records some very specific stories in the Gospel of John. And he makes it a note that he could have recorded more. In fact, he could have not possibly recorded all of them because not all the books in the world could hold all the good things that Jesus had done, all the events of his life and the miracles and wonders he had performed. John was selective in the stories he chose to tell because those stories to him communicated the gospel most effectively and clearly. We know the authors of the New Testament were crafting the story inspired by the Spirit to do so in a way that would then be effective for generations to come. For thousands of years, we have looked to these books to be shaped and encouraged in our understanding of what God is doing in our lives. Luke does the same thing. Now, Luke is a comprehensive recorder of events and details. There's no question about it. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, he's a lot more into the nitty-gritty than any of the other Gospel authors. And he does the same thing in the book of Acts. There's a lot of information contained in the book of Acts. But even Luke only records the events that he thinks are necessary to tell the story of the early church. And he begins with this climactic moment where many people are converted, thousands of people are converted to say, yes, Jesus fulfilled all that these people had been expecting and longing for. And it's an easy win in a lot of ways. And we enter into the book of Exodus, or book of Acts, rather, very excited because it begins with a big, huge, climactic moment that then eases into a lot of smaller stories about God working in individuals through individuals. We like to say that we're an Acts 2 church, uh, that we do what the Acts 2 church did. And I want to remind us of what that verse is to us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a good description of what the church should be. But if you notice, from here on out, there's not a lot of talk about thousands being converted on a regular basis. Now, it does say day by day there were those who were being added to their number. Day by day. And I have to ask you this morning, who do you think was doing the evangelism at this point? Luke only records one real, major, knockout sermon by Peter that converts waves of people. But he records over and over again these small stories about Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch, about Paul and his jailer, 
about Saul and Barnabas going from town to town and oftentimes being rejected, but finding a small group of people who latch on to the good news of the gospel. I think we know at our heart that evangelism doesn't happen in rousing speeches that are for thousands of people that all convert in a single moment. But it happens in the one-on-one. See, when Philip speaks to that Ethiopian eunuch, he finds out something about him. What are you doing? I'm reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and I don't understand what's going on here. It's very clear that this man is not as steeped as the thousands of individuals that converted on the day of Pentecost in the story of the Old Testament. He's struggling. How, how in the world can this man be both David's son and also his king and his lord? You know, this doesn't make any sense to me. And Philip begins to explain to him the truth from that point. But Philip has a personal connection with this guy. He, a personal discussion. A private, calm, quiet moment between the two of them. Now, it doesn't start off calm and quiet because Philip is literally running alongside the chariot to keep up and ask him these questions. But this is one-on-one. And when Philip begins to explain, he doesn't start the way that Peter does and go all the way back to the the fathers of the faith. He doesn't end up outlining the entirety of Jewish history in order to say, and this man whom you crucified is the one that God has anointed, made both Savior and Lord. He starts where the man is. You're reading from Isaiah, let me tell you, the truth. Let me tell you what it means from this very point. Because Philip's not thinking about those 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. He's thinking about the Ethiopian right there with him. The name, the face, this is the man I'm evangelizing to. And in the same way that Peter has tremendous success on that day because this is the audience for that speech, Philip has as tremendous a success in his moment with that man because he speaks to him the truth that he needs to hear, tailored for his situation and his understanding. Again, Peter and Philip both divinely inspired in these moments to do the things that they do, but not men who are supernatural themselves, simply men who are led by the Spirit. And we ask ourselves, if if Philip can have a conversion in that moment, sharing the truth of the gospel from the scroll of Isaiah, If Peter can have this tremendous moment where so many within the the Jewish community all come to Christ in a single day, if Paul can wander from town to town and in many cases not touch the Old Testament at all but simply speak the truth of the unknown God, how is it possible that so many of us struggle to evangelize just one? I talked before about this idea that, uh, this was a couple weeks ago now, we have in our mind not just the idea that the evangelist is going to 
preach a rousing sermon and convert 3,000 people, but we also have the idea that if we just live good enough moral lives, if we keep things together, people are going to become curious about the faith that we have and that they'll see our life and they'll want our life and so as a result they'll come to believe in Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, I had an epiphany last night, again, as I was talking to Josh and Amy, that's that's the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's a pretty dangerous thing for us to believe, that people will look at our lives and say, I want your life, which is why I'm going to believe in Jesus. What we need to be telling them is, it doesn't matter what my life looks like, the good news for me is that Jesus has saved me and redeemed me, and regardless of what your life may look like right now, he can do the same for you. And that's the gospel, not the other thing. But we can't communicate that to people if we don't know what they need to hear, if we don't know where they are, if we don't have their name and their face in our mind as we prepare to share that gospel, that gospel with them. I don't want people to want my life, and that's the reason that they come to Jesus. I want people to want Jesus. I want them to want salvation. I want them to know how Jesus will change their life. And I may have to tell them how he's changed mine in order for them to understand that he can change lives. But I want them to know that Jesus can change their life. Not so it's a carbon copy of mine, and believe me, there are plenty of things in my life that if if I were banking on the idea that my life would be an attractive enough life that they'd want to become followers of Jesus for that reason, I've got to shove all this stuff in the closet so they don't see it. Got to make my house look presentable so that when they come over, they don't know that I, I, you know, leave my socks on the floor. Sorry, Lorinda. Um, The truth is, if we're going to be effective in our evangelism to people, we have to have a one. The person that we've thought long and hard about how the gospel applies to them, about how the gospel will change their life. And we know, we know at our heart that the gospel can change all lives, that the good news of Jesus Christ can change anyone. But are we committed to telling the story for our one? That one person that we know we can share the gospel with. I want to challenge each of us this morning. I want to challenge myself. I want want us to really think long and hard about who specifically we will share the good news of the resurrected Christ with. Who is that person in your mind? None of us none of us are going to have the opportunity Peter had on the day of Pentecost. It was the most perfect teed-up ball with the best wind conditions in the world. It was, it was uh, today's the Super Bowl, right? So it's, it's, you know, having the perfect quarterback behind your okay team, which is what's happening this year, right? 
It is the, the moment in which everything else has just fallen into place and the, the path to victory is completely clear. Peter had a golden moment that God gave to him. And when he yielded to what God was doing in his life, when he yielded to the situation that was around him, when he allowed the Spirit to speak through him, when he saw who his audience was and spoke to their hearts, everything fell into place. And we won't have, personally, a day of Pentecost. But we will have a moment that God tees up for us and says, this is, this is your opportunity to change a life, to share the gospel in a way that will alter the course of history for that person. Who is that person for you? We don't get to decide it, I don't think. I think God has a specific person in mind that he is working on right now that you'll come into contact with. And the truth is, once you've encountered that person, once you've shared the gospel with them, there will be another one. And there will be another one. And eventually, the process of evangelizing to people becomes addictive, and you can't help yourself. You've just got to tell everybody that you encounter. But you can't possibly lose the vision of that one. You can't lose the vision of who it is that you will share the good news with. And carefully and thoughtfully consider the words that you will speak to them, the words of life that they need to hear. I will not be converting 3,000 people this week. I hope, though, that there's one person that I have in mind that I can share the good news with. And I think if each and every one of us have that one person in mind, imagine the good that we can do. I think this is what's happening in the church after the day of Pentecost, is that these 3,000 people are like, I've heard this good news, and I need to share it with my brother who was too lazy to get out of bed and go down to the temple on the day of Pentecost, and now I need to tell him the good news so that he will come to know what I have come to know. And the numbers that are added daily are not because of Peter's rousing speech. I mean, you know, infinite regression, of course. Yeah, going all the way back, you find maybe Peter was responsible. But it was those thousands of individuals who found their one. And the church grew like wildfire because each member found their one. And if every member of the Newburgh Church of Christ found their one this week, wouldn't we be adding to our number day by day? Not because we want to be the biggest church in the world, but because we want Christ's church to grow. Because we want those who are lost to be found. We want those who are dead to be given life. We want those who were thought far beyond hope to discover salvation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I would love to be able to preach a sermon that converted 3,000 people. The part of me that is prideful and, and uh, wants to be able to brag wants to convert 3,000 people on a single day. The other part of me, the part of me that is afraid, the part of me that is timid, the part of me uh, that... that just doesn't always have it together, is afraid to sometimes just speak to one person 
the truth of the gospel. And I think one sounds really bold, but the truth is it's the smaller, more intimate, one-on-one evangelism that is the bolder and more difficult thing to do. And so I pray for our congregation to be a congregation that is full of boldness in our personal relationships. I pray that you lay on the heart of each and every one of us a one, the one person that we are actively pursuing for your kingdom, that that pearl out in a field that we would lay everything aside to be able to, to bring them into the kingdom of heaven that literal denial of self for their benefit, that we would take up our cross and bear their burdens so that they might see Christ in us and that they might come to love him and know him and find salvation through him. God, I pray, I pray that you make us a congregation of evangelists. God, I'll keep preaching. I'll keep sharing the truth of the gospel with our congregation. I, I, will, I will commit myself to that. But Father, I pray that as a congregation, as your royal priesthood, that we are ambassadors of the gospel to all the people that we encounter in our lives, but especially to the one that you have laid it on our hearts to share the gospel with. Help us to see glory in Philip. Help us to see glory in the story of the conversion of Lydia. Help us to see glory in the, the centurion being converted. Not the glory of the individual who shared the gospel, but your glory. And help us to pursue that in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have a need of the church this morning, if there are ways in which we can encourage you, pray for you, uh, work to help you grow in your spiritual life. We want to do that. If you are uh, seeking baptism this morning, the water is ready behind us, or it will be ready in something like five minutes. Uh, If you are uh, someone who is looking to be equipped to share with your one, if there's any need that you have of the congregation, we want to help you. We want to encourage you and help you grow. We want to equip you for ministry. We want you to become an evangelist to those who are lost in your life. We'd invite you to do so. We'd invite you. I'll be at the back of the auditorium. If you you need someone to talk to, you can do, do that. You can come and visit me in the back of the auditorium and we'll talk for a while. But otherwise, we're going to continue our worship this morning as we stand and we sing. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender surrender all, all to
to Jesus I surrender Humbly at his feet I bow Worldly pleasures all forsaken Take me Jesus, take me now I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. You may be seated. I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow, follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the held the oceans in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? You can teach the one who knows all things. Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne, 
Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Who has felt the nails upon his hand, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Uh, I know I can't really see you, but uh, it is good to be able to talk to you this morning. And Nelda and I would like to send our greetings to let you know that we miss you, we love you, and we look forward to the day when we can be back together again and that we continue to pray for you. This morning, I wanna thank Kyle and Chris, first of all, for the lessons that they have presented of this, out of this Everyone series. I have really enjoyed them. I found them very interesting and very thought-provoking. This morning, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts from those sermons. I want to remember, want you to remember what Kyle said in his last sermon as he was drawing to a close. He said there were five markers of a disciple. He said the five markers of a disciple are a willingness to go, a heart for people, ability to communicate the gospel, attentive to the spirit, and courage. And this week, as I was thinking about those, 
And then I remembered that I was going to be leading at the Lord's Supper this morning. I was drawn to the third one, the ability to share the gospel. I would change that a little bit and I would say the ability to share my gospel. This is, I'm reading reading in 2 Timothy in chapter 2 and in verse 8. It says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Paul is in Rome. He's been arrested. He's living uh, with a guard. Um, He has limited mobility. He's had his trial probably before Nero, and he lost his case. He is probably going to be executed soon. And so we have Paul getting ready to die. We know this from the last chapter of the book where Paul talks about how he is like a drink offering that has been poured out, that his he's run the race and finished the course. And he says that I know that there will be a crown of righteousness that will be given to me by the Lord on that day, that last day. So Paul thinks that his time is up, but he wants Timothy to remember his gospel, what was important to him. And I know it's important to Paul because there's a peculiar part of it that most of what Paul says is important to me, but there's part of it that is very personal. He said, at the end of it, he said, descended from David. You see, David, Paul, having been raised as a Pharisee, um, was very knowledgeable about the Old Testament, and he knew the prophecies about the coming Messiah. And he says, descended from David, because that's kind of like summarizing that Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies in the Old Testament, because one of those prophecies dealt with that the Messiah would come from the line of David, from the root of Jesse. And so Paul knows that, and that's very personal to him. That's important to him, because a big chunk of his life has been as a Jew, And this is confirmation of that. But then going on, he also says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Let's unpack that a little bit. The first part is Jesus Christ. Now, to us, those are just the names of Jesus. We don't think about them too much. But to Timothy, remember Jesus is the Greek form of the word Yeshua or the name Yeshua or Joshua as we say it which literally means, in Aramaic and Hebrew, means Savior. And then we have the word Christ. Christ is a Greek form of the word Messiah. Messiah is the term for the anointed one. Um, When David was chosen to be king, Samuel went and anointed him with oil, marking him as the anointed one of God who would lead Israel. And in the same way, Jesus was anointed and chosen to be king. And so we have that here in Paul saying, he says, first of all, we have Jesus Savior, Jesus King. And now he says, raised from the dead. Why is that important? Well, because Jesus died on the cross. He's raised from the dead And in his resurrection is our hope for eternal life. It's where we come in contact with the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. 
That's Paul's gospel. That's why it was important to him. It was his personal gospel. For us, it's important for us to think about what's important in the gospel. What has God done for us? What is that foundation that we carry around inside of us that we share with people? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I think Chris mentioned our story. If we're going to tell people about Jesus, we need to be able to tell them about what God has done for us. That's our story. We live in a world where there's so much information and misinformation, it's hard to know what what to believe. But if I come to you and I tell you what God has done for uh, for me, then you have to accept that because that's what I say. That's what I believe. And if you can believe me, then you know that God did that. And that's what we need to do. That's what makes us a disciple maker. As you look at this, this foundation, this gospel of Paul, and you stop and think about it, then you take a look at the five markers of a disciple is, is willingness to go, heart for people, attentive to the spirit, and courage. Paul had all of those. And we need to have them too. But where do we get them? We get them from the gospel. We get them from the good news that we carry around inside of us that we want to share with people. So we need to know what our personal gospel is. What has God done for you? How did God do that? How did God forgive your sins? How did he give us the church? How did he do all of those things? We have to think on those things and we have to, I believe, we kind of need to know them. We kind of, I have actually written down my gospel. I know what it is. I can recite it to you. I'm not going to this morning because that's not why I'm here. What I'm here for is for you to stop and think about what is your gospel? What's important for you? And start working on that and thinking about it. What has God done for you and how did he do it? Because if we can do that, then we'll be able to be a disciple maker. Now, what does that have to do with communion? It has everything to do with communion. In Paul's gospel, it was Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We have the body of Christ that hung on the cross. We have the blood that was shed when Jesus died. Those things are for us to raise us up, to help us to remember the good news, the story. Remember what God has done for us. So this morning, as we partake of the communion, I'd like for you to stop and think about that, to think about what Jesus' body on the cross and the church and then the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sins and the resurrection of Jesus. All of that's important to us. And that's why I believe that we have the Lord's Supper is to remind us. It says, do Jesus said, do this to remember me. So let's remember Jesus this morning. Pray with me for the bread. Father, this morning we come to you remembering Jesus, remembering him and his life and his death on the cross. Now, Father, as we partake of this bread, we ask you to bless it. Help us to remember that it is the body of Christ. Thank you again for him. In his name we pray. Amen. Now pray with me again. Father, as we come to you now, remembering Jesus' 
on the cross and the blood that was shed, the blood that cleanses us, the blood that gives us life, that gives us the ability to live in your presence. Thank you again for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. remind you all of ways you can still give at this time. Uh, you can drop off a check in the mail slot or slide it under Chris or Norma's office. Um, you can also use bill pay through your bank if you want to do anything like that. Just wanted to remind you all of that. Let's sing our last song together. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. I've got a just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow and someday yonder we will never more wander but walk the streets that are pure as gold don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a robe and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow. And someday yonder we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are pure as gold. Yeah.
I have been told that there are no announcements, so for the first time in church history, we have no announcements. But I, I do have a couple of reminders for you. Uh, one is, uh, let's remember, we are uh, considering a couple of men uh, to become elders here. So let's be prayerful, prayerful about that uh, this week as we continue to think about that. And the second one is, as we exit, please make sure that we're following uh, the guidelines that we have, and that's to exit at the front, out the left and right doors, if you don't mind. Uh, let's stand together and we'll close with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it is a good day to be here to sing praises to you and to listen to Chris uh, teach us from your word. Father, bless us with opportunities this week to share the gospel, to come in contact with people that we can have an influence on. Father, we want this church to grow and we need to be out there sharing the gospel with those that we come in contact with. Father, go with us this week and help us to have a good week. Help us to uh, let our light shine before the people we come in contact with. And these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed.